You know, when Wes came the first time to ask her if he could date Laura, I told him no. And he looked at me with the strangest look and said, why? <laughs> and I asked him, I said, do you have a piece of paper? He said, yes. I said, well, take it out. <laughs> and I gave him a list of why he couldn't date my daughter at that time. And uh, from the first time he asked me to the first time I let him date her, I think was almost two years. And, uh, but with that said, in that period of time, Wes came to me on a number of occasions with items that were on that list and said, I've been praying, I've been studying, the Lord's convicting me about this right here. And he told me how, you know, the verse that God had used and the prayer that God had answered about that situation. And as he grew down that list, and I saw that grow, then, then Laura could date him. So growth is a great thing, right? You don't want to stay the same. And he didn't, and that's the reason why. He has my daughter as his wife, and that's the reason why he's here as your assistant pastor. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, please. I was talking with your pastor on Thursday. We went out to eat lunch, and we were talking about different things, and he was talking about all the different funerals that y'all have done here over the last year or two, how that is an opportunity to minister to people. Of course, a lot of people get saved during that time. Uh, you know, death is a time that none of us want, right? It's not a time in our life that we enjoy. But death is quite interesting. There's a demon flying around up here. I mean, it was down there a while ago, and Paul, I told Renee, I said, it's going to follow me to the pulpit. Sure enough, it has. But death is, you know, a lot of people are afraid of death. In the Old Testament, in the book of Job, death was called the king of terror. You know, and a lot of people today, uh, they do all kind of stuff to put the thought of death out of their mind. They don't want to think about it. But there's a lot of things that can be learned from death. When our girls were little and they would get into little girl arguments uh, or have a bad attitude, my wife said something to them on a regular basis that I have thought about and used more than once, and this was what she'd say to them she would say is what you're upset about will it be important on the day of your death in the passage of scripture i want to look at three things in chapter five of second corinthians tonight with this thought what is important in the face of death what is important in this passage that we can learn Because Paul talks about death in this context. Back over in chapter 4, beginning there in verse number 8, he talks about his ministry and how he had suffered in the ministry. And he talks about death. Notice verse number 11 of chapter 4. We'll come back. We're going to preach out of chapter 5. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Now, Paul suffered all kind of things in his life and ministry. None of us have suffered anything like that. We could take all of our lives and put them together, and, and collectively we would not have suffered as much for the cause of Christ as the Apostle Paul did. 
None of us have probably shed any blood because of our testimony for Christ. But Paul had, of course. And he wants to use that background to teach these Corinthian peoples something about life and living from this topic of death. You know, for us as Christians, death is the doorway to glory. You ever thought about that? I know years ago, I read this story many years ago, back when uh, John R. Rice, and he was an old evangelist of a generation back, uh, a young man one day uh, stuck a pistol in his belly and told him he was going to kill him. And John R. Rice looked down at him and said, young man, don't threaten me with heaven. You know, for the Christian, that's what we got to look forward to is heaven. So death is not anything that really should upset us too much. But as a pastor, I've dealt with a lot of situations where uh, when uh, death looked like it was imminent, people really got upset about a lot of things. Now, I can understand that type of thought if, if a person has not lived their life the way they should have. If we are living our life in a way that God would be pleased with, death is not anything to be feared. But here in chapter 5, and I'm not going to look at the whole chapter. Uh, I don't have time to look at the whole chapter. Matter of fact, if I were in my church, it would probably take me a month to look at, at the verses we're going to look at tonight. But three thoughts I want you to think with me, please. Uh, these three things are important when, the, when it comes to the thoughts of a future death. And the first one is this. Our future, and by the way, from right now, this point to which I'm speaking, everything forward from this is your future and my future. And our future can be faced with confidence. You know, one thing that pastors deal with is people that are, are fearful of what's going to happen. No, our future can be faced with confidence. The second thing we're going to look at is what I call the faith walk, the walk of faith. is for right now. It's not for later, you might not have later. Think about that. Renee and I flew in on Tuesday to surprise Laura. And uh, between the airport and her house, a member of my church back in South Carolina passed away. The doctors told her she had weeks. She'd been fighting cancer for 15 years. But no, she passed away, and I flew back this week and did her funeral. No, the walk of faith is for right now, every single day we're looking at. The third thing is that your first and your final responsibility is to Jesus Christ. Notice verse 1 of chapter 5, please. For we know that our, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, in other words, you die. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice also verse number 6. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that, while, that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Notice verse number 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Notice verse number 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Now, 
there's a couple of words that kept coming up. And by the fact, if you go back to chapter 4 and verse number 14, the first word in that verse is knowing. So we see in verse number 1, we know. We see in verse 6, we're confident. And also in verse number 6, you see knowing. In verse number 11, you see knowing. Uh, and this is uh, support verses for my first thought. Our future can be faced with confidence. If you know something, what are you? You're confident about it if you know it. How many of you have ever gone in when you were in school to take a test and you were not confident that you were going to do well? Oh, yeah, all of us have. Now, how, on the flip side, now, how many of you have ever gone into the test with this thought, I'm going to ace this test, and you did? Yeah, a number. Why? Because you know you knew the material. You had studied it. You knew it inside and out. And there's really no way that you weren't going to do well because you knew. And Paul here uses this phrase, we know, we know. And uh, this word confident, by the way, that means to be courageous, to be bold. And when we know something, that's what we can be. We can be courageous and we can be bold. Now with that said, all of us in this room should go forth and live for Christ with confidence. We should know the material. We should study the material. Amen. We should study the material so we can have this type of confidence and not have to be fearful about different things in our life. You know, the Apostle Paul, all through his writings, about six or seven times through the different writings that the Apostle Paul made, he made this statement, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Doesn't he? In a lot of places, he makes that statement. Why? Because he wanted them. He, kn he knew that through knowledge, people would be confident. And when they have that confidence, then their lives are much different. And when their lives are much different from that confidence, not only is your life different, but everybody around you is different. This year marked the 50th year that I've been saved. I got saved July the 4th, 1973. A country boy that knew nothing. A country boy that was wicked. A country boy, when he got saved, everything in my life changed. If I had not gotten saved, I'd probably be dead already. If I, or I had not gotten saved, I would have been living a wicked life, and, and my life and everyone associated with my life would have been terrible. And I'm I speaking from the standpoint of that was the life of my sisters. Their lives were terrible. But Christ made the difference in my life. It led to God giving me a wonderful wife, allowed us to have three godly kids, and God's given us three godly son-in-laws with 12 grandkids just this summer Renee and I went to see our second daughter and while we were there we were talking and getting ready to leave and our uh, grandson Sawyer looked at us and said uh, Papa I got something to tell you I said what's that Sawyer he said did you know that Jesus forgives and I said yeah I knew that he said well he's forgiven me 
And then he went on to ask me if we would come up to his baptism, that he wanted everybody to know that he had asked Jesus to save him. So as of now, all 12 of our grandkids have accepted Christ as their Savior. You know, in my mind, that started 50 years ago. If I hadn't have got saved, I doubt very seriously if I'd have been hearing that from one of my grandsons. Now, we can go into our future with confidence. Uh, why? Because of what we know of Christ. Notice the second thing, verse number 7, please. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Then notice verse number 9, please. Wherefore, and the wherefore would take us back up to that thought that we walk by faith, not by sight. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Uh, this faith walk or this walk of faith is for right now. He says there in that verse number 9 that we labor. And this word labor is quite interesting. In the Bible, you'll find the word labor translated from two different Greek words. One Greek word that's translated labor means to toil to the place of exhaustion. That is not the word here. The word that's used right here means to have as one's ambition. It means to strive toward a goal. And Paul is saying here, wherefore we strive toward the goal. It is our aim in life to be present or absent, to be accepted of him. In other words, if we're present... That means this body has died and we're with the Lord. Or to be absent from the Lord, that means we're still in this body. Regardless, Paul said if he was dead and in the Lord's presence or still in the physical body, he wanted to be acceptable to the Lord or be pleasing to the Lord. May I say to every single one of us in this room tonight, that should be our goal in life. If that's not your goal in life, there's something wrong. Your goal in life is misplaced. You have your eyes on the wrong thing. If your goal in life is not to please the Lord Jesus Christ, to be accepted, and the word accepted here means well-pleasing. Well-pleasing to him. In other words, he would look at you and smile. Now, the ones in here that are parents, I think you'll understand this because you at one time were a child and everyone in this room that has been a child knows what it feels like when your parents look at you and smile this smile of approval. Right? Now, when my girls were little, say, this is before I ever became a pastor, we'd be in church and they'd be on the road. You know how kids are, they'd be cutting up. All I had to do would do this. And I'd turn my head and look at them. My, eye, my brows would come down a little bit. Boy, those girls, they'd, they'd sit up straight. They knew what that brow look meant. It's a whole lot better when you look at them and give them that smile of approval. And every one of us in this room tonight should want the approval of our Savior. It should be our goal in life to please him. But you know what? That's right. That's for now. That's not for later on. That's not when I've had a lot of people say, well, pastor, when I get older, I'll do that. No, it's now. Children are to serve the Lord now in your youth. All the older folks in here, and I'm in that category now, we're to serve the Lord now. 
Don't wait till you retire to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord now. And when you retire, still serve the Lord. But the faith is now. Now, you know, when it comes to this walk of faith, a lot of people have a lot of strange ideas about living by faith. And some people think living by faith is some mystical feeling, you know, when you get the urge to do something. No, that's not faith. That's presumption. That's feeling. Obedience to the principles of this book and choosing to do so is faith. The choice to live the promises of God is faith. Now, this book tells us uh, uh, there's a lot of things that we should do. Turn with me, please, to 2 Peter, please. 2 Peter. And notice what the Apostle Peter said. We're also going to look at 1 Timothy if you want to find yourself there. But in 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Peter, chapter number 1, he tells us a little bit about how we can do this walk of faith. Notice, please, verse number 3 of chapter number 1 of 2 Peter. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Did you notice that word, godliness? Uh, may I emphasize that word to us tonight? And I emphasize that word to us because a lot of churches are moving away from the word godliness. And a lot of churches today are emphasizing, well, just come as you are and leave as you came. No. The word of God tells us that he wants us to be godly. And I could preach a month on the topic of godliness from Scripture. Anyway, he's given us everything that pertains to life and God is through Notice how we have this life and godless through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, he's called us to glory and virtue. Then he goes on. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these great and precious promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, what kind of nature does God have? Well, one of the, his attributes is holiness. One of his attributes is love. One of his attributes is graciousness and mercy and omnipotence and omnipresence. And on and on I could go with his uh, divine nature. And the only way that we're going to partake of that is to know what this book says about him, it goes on to say, And having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, given all diligence, add to your faith. Now, this list, and I, I don't have time, each one of these topics in the, where it says add is a whole sermon in itself, but it says add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. There's that word again. And to godless brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness charity. Now, none of the things in that list right there <coughs> address the outside, the body, how it looks. Now, with that said, when we add these qualities, it was going to affect what other people see as well. How we present ourselves. Listen, we need to understand that men do look on the outward appearance God looks on the heart therefore since men look on the appearance we should let the heart that God gives us affect what people see and here we see that that's a part of our walk turn over to chapter 3 of 2nd Peter please 
chapter 3. And notice verse number 11. Of course, this section is talking about the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, how he's going to come. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye be in holy conversation and godliness? There's that word again. And he, he added a, another qualifier to it, said holy conversation and godliness. What I'm trying to say is if we live the faith life, walk in faith like we should, it's going to change us. It's going to affect the way we do things. It's got to the place where a lot of Christians don't want to be considered to be holy. They want to be considered just like everybody else. If you're just like everybody else, I promise you, you won't be able to reach them for Christ because if you're just like them, they don't think they need what you think you have. He goes on to verse number 12. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, I'm looking forward to the day uh, wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know what's going to happen on that? I'm going to get a glorified body. You're going to get a glorified body. And all the things about me that would irritate you and all the things about you that would irritate me are going to be gone and we can get along, there won't be any problems whatsoever. Isn't that a great thought? But in the meantime, I still have this body. You still have that body. I still have the things that would irritate you. You still have the things that irritate me. And in the process today, we're supposed to try to put as many of those out of our life so we won't bother other people. Do you realize how difficult it is to say no to your own self? Yeah. I don't like that, do you? No. I like to please this whole thing right here. And there's more than once that I've wanted to tell people off. And I haven't. Praise the Lord. Because it would have done harm to the cause of Christ if I had. But here we see this faith walk is a lot of things that we should consider. You know, in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world what it says be not and literally stop being conformed to this world we're all in this room are a whole lot more conformed to the things of the world than we think we are the more we get in this book and start reading and truly walk the faith walk will the lord start showing us that's of the world you don't need to be doing that that's of the world you need to put that out of your life stop being conformed to that stop letting that affect you and the more we read this book, the more we can have the walk of faith. Go with me, please, to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. First, I'll say chapter number 1, chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. First Timothy chapter number 4. Notice verse number 7. Of course, Timothy written by Paul to a young preacher, encouraging and motivating him telling him how he could be a better Christian and then be a better preacher. By the way, you don't need to be a better preacher. You need to be a better Christian. If you're a better Christian, then you'll be a better preacher or a better pastor. Verse number seven, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. There's that word again. 
He's telling Timothy there's some things in your life, some false things in your life that you need to eliminate. He said refuse these things. It means to reject. It means to avoid them. It means to get them out of your life. Refuse what? Profane. Something that's profane, and that's an old English word that means worldly, that which is worthless, that which is common, that which the majority of the people have something to do with. That's what this word means. He says, refuse profane. That's the current trends of the day. News media is current trends. And media has become one of the biggest sellers out there. Uh, when I say the biggest sellers, the most money that's in the economy comes through the media. Everybody in this room almost has a cell phone now, don't you? That's media outlets. And all through that media outlet, no matter what you're looking at, advertisements come up, right? All kind of money going through advertisement. And you know, they only pay a little bit, but once it goes to millions and millions and millions of people, you know, they, they suck all kind of money into the media. Then we go buy things because of advertisements. There's all kind of things here. And he's saying, get rid of the current trend. But then he goes on and he says, not only this profane, but then he says, oh, wise fables. No, that's not a slam on women. That just simply means contemptible tradition. Now, if I could be here long enough and talk to you people that were born and raised here in Colorado, I'd find out that you have all kind of traditions. If you could sit and talk to me, you'd find out being raised in western North Carolina as a hillbilly, uh, we had all kind of traditions. May I say to us that most traditions are ungodly? The word myths, uh, the word fable here means myth or falsehood or legend, tales of all kinds. And, and this phrase that Paul uses here, old wives fables, it, it was an idiom in the Greek culture in Paul's day. And they would have understood it. Uh, we have to have it explained. But it's a picture of a, an uneducated, uncultured, ignorant woman that, uh, that destroys that which is good. I saw, a, I saw an illustration of this in the airport. I'm going to come around the corner, and here stands an old woman. She's probably in her 70s, and I don't say that to offend any woman in the room. My wife is 69, but she had bleached blonde hair. She was standing in a miniskirt. She had tattoos all over her body, and she was flirting with a 20-year-old man. Now, there's something wrong with that picture. That, that picture that I just gave you describes what this whole wise idiom that Paul used meant. It describes a, a woman that has grown old, full of wickedness and error. Paul says you've got to get rid of this contemptible tradition. You've got to get rid of the current trends. Timothy, if you're going to be able to be the kind of man that you should be, the kind of Christian that you should be, you've got to get this out of your life. Let's read on. He goes on and says, get rid of these, but then he says, and exercise thyself rather 
unto godliness. There's our word again. So not only eliminate the faults, exercise the godly. Notice he says exercise. That's an imperative. It's a command given to us. And it means to train. It means to put your body under discipline. Now, Brody over here is in football practice. Is that right? I understand that you had some sore legs the other day. Is that right? Why? You were exercising, right? You know, I've learned that most people don't like to exercise because it does make them sore. And as that, that principle is true in the physical realm, I've learned as a pastor of 39 years that people are the same way when it comes to spiritual. You know, you exercise yourself unto godliness, and your, your old fleshly body will tell you how much it hates that exercise. Your body will complain. And every time your body complains, the devil will jump up on your shoulder and say amen. I promise you that's going to take place. But you know how? You know how we physically exercise? Brody over here does it because he's got a coach hollering at him. Right? I remember playing high school football, and we'd be running. And in South Carolina in August, it's still 95. North Carolina is still 95, about 85 minutes. We'd be running, a bunch of boys would be all bent over, throwing up because they were sick. And I remember the football coach running over, grabbing them up, standing them up, said, if you're going to do that, you do it on my time, not on your time, so run. And they'd be running and throwing up as they were running. That coach would probably be fired today for that type of coaching. But that's the same principle. Exercise ourselves. Train it. Put it under discipline. In other words, you're going to have to make a gut decision when your body complains and the devil tries to encourage you to do something wrong, you and I are going to have to make the decision to do what this verse says, exercise ourselves, train ourselves unto godliness. Now, if we're going to train ourselves to godliness, that word godliness, simply break it down, godlikeness. We're going to have to get rid of everything that's not godlike. Oh, me. You say, Pastor Camp, that's not real exciting preaching. Come on now, look at me. Is that exciting? No, that's not exciting preaching. Discipline is not something that's usually very exciting. But this godliness, you know, I've learned that godliness is good for every age group. Don't you people enjoy godly kids? I told our daughters when I got married, don't bring your kids around here to be a total pain when they come I want to be able to enjoy them and I promised my kids I said listen when you have kids I'll help you raise them I won't make it more difficult you won't bring in a grandpa's house and then have to whip them when you get them back home because grandpa and grandma spoiled them we have not done that why I want to have peaceful grandkids I want to enjoy family get-togethers so godliness is great for kids don't you enjoy sitting down and having a a godly conversation with other people? Yeah. In the airport, we were waiting. Our flight was delayed over an hour in Charlotte because of bad weather. And uh, people standing around talking, discussing like a bunch of sailors. That just grates on my nerves. 
Brother Young was talking this morning about cussing. When I got saved, that was one thing. Thank the Lord he took my cussing mouth away from me. The day I got saved from now is not the one cuss word. I mean, he just took it. But I love godliness in every age group. I don't like to see ungodly old people. It just irritates me to no end. They've, they've had, uh, we old folks have had enough time to learn how not to be a pain. Thank you. But I, I better move back to Second Corinthians. A lot more I want to say on that point that I wouldn't get done. Back to Second Corinthians, we see in verse 1, verse 6, verse 8, verse 11, our future can be faced with confidence. We see in verse 7 and verse 9 and a bunch of cross-references that the faith walk is for right now. And then verse number 10, we see that the first and the final responsibility is to Jesus. Notice what it says, for we. Who's we? Christian. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone, notice that, everyone, Paul's very clear on this, we must all, and then everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, in Romans chapter 14, Paul says it this way. Let me read it. As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. With that type of thought, <clears throat> a lot of people say, well, that's, that's my final appearance before the Lord. I, I understand that. No one in this room that knows Christ as Savior will miss the judgment seat of Christ. Now, with that said, no one in this room will miss a final appearance before Christ. The Christian will be at the judgment seat of Christ. That's where saved people appear. But a lost person will feel before the throne of God, judgment throne of God. Great white throne. So everybody's going to have a final appearance before the Lord. But it's a whole lot better to be at the judgment seat of Christ. We're saved people. We're there will be rewards handed out and crowns handed out. There will not be any of that at the great white throne judgment. That's just to determine the degree of punishment in hell. Now, that's yes, that's our final, but I promise you this. Your final appearance of, before the Lord will not be as good unless you see your first responsibility is to the Lord. Because your first responsibility will determine everything between it and the final one. It affects everything in between. The way you live right now is, is based on how you see your responsibility to the Lord. If you're being conformed to the things of the world, you don't see your first responsibility to the Lord. It's still what you want. How you want it. Not what the Lord wants. You know, the thought that every knee is going to bow. Paul said it in Philippians in the way that not only is every knee going to bow, but every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> Your tongue will be in that group. Mine will be in that group. But I sure want that, as Paul said in verse number 9, where the present 
or absent, they may be accepted of him. When we stand at that judgment seat of Christ that's mentioned right here. Oh, by the way, look at verse number 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Paul considered this appearance before the judgment seat of Christ that something that struck fear in his heart. There's a lot of false teaching out there that, well, you know, the judgment seat of Christ is just where everybody's going to be rewarded. No, that's not what this verse teaches. And the fact that he taught that you could receive that which is bad struck terror in his heart. Now, I think that's pretty important when death comes. You know, I've talked to people right up until the moment of death almost. I've had some people tell me, Pastor Camp, facing death is the very best thing that has ever happened to me. I had one man that after he told me that, three days later he was dead. And I asked him when he told me, he said, why, why do you say that, bud? He said, because it's caused me to come face to face with the sin that was in my life. I, I've confessed it. I've talked to everybody that I've hurt and asked their forgiveness. It's the best thing that ever happened to me, and I should have been living this way the whole time. Paul calls these lessons with death as the foundational thought. I don't know exactly how the Spirit of God wanted you to receive these three thoughts. But that's between you and the Spirit of God. Maybe there's some things in your life that you haven't been too confident about. And maybe now you'll change that. Maybe a walk of faith is not something you've really been doing. Or you really haven't connected a walk of faith with adding this book into it. Maybe you haven't seen that your first responsibility is to the Lord. But maybe tonight you will. And maybe it will change the way you do everything from here on out. I hope that it does. Because one thing for sure, you nor I am promised another night. You could be dead before in the morning. You know, God told Moses. He told him, get ready and come up to him for tomorrow you shall die. That's what God told Moses. I don't know your, your tomorrow. I don't know mine. I challenge all of us to apply these three principles. Father, we thank you tonight for what your word can teach us. And I pray, dear God, that these three thoughts tonight would find a lodging place in our heart and an active place in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.